0: Downloads of this show are available at Podomatic.com or the Podomatic mobile app. Hey kids, you are listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, and this show is special out of Algo with Michelle Carlo. Today is Tuesday, April 10th, 2018. Yes, it's spring. Allegedly, even if it doesn't feel like it. So I just wanted to play this song to open up. It's about a rose, which, if there aren't any blooming near you, rest assured there are in Spanish Harlem. we're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. That was Aretha Franklin's version of Spanish Harlem. The song was originally released by the r and soul band The Drifters, Benny King, back in 1960. And it's been covered by many artists, including Herb Albert, the Mamas and Papas, Laura Nairo, Leon Russell. But I think that this cover is most famous and best, well, to me anyway by Aretha Franklin back in 1971. Well kids, we have a lot of show for you today and we're just going to get right to it. But first I want to um, continue with a song picked by this week's guest artist to open the episode. And it's by, guess what? Someone who grew up in Spanish Harlem. Some of you may have heard of him. His name is Mark Anthony. was Mark Anthony with Vivir Mi Vida, which means live my life, from his 3.0, the 3.0 album back in 2013. Wow, that was cool. So we heard Aretha Franklin's version of Spanish Harlem and we heard a Spanish Harlem born and raised version on life. Pretty cool. And I think it's a perfect segue for our guest artist this week. That's right, kids, because right now it's time for my favorite part of the show. Whoa, whoa. Everybody. welcome to Fish Out of Water's guest artist of the week. Woo-hoo. Woo-hoo. Here, woo-hoo. here I am again, sitting across the table from one of my most favorite performers in oh the entire God. world. Oh my God! Thank you,
1: thank you, thank you. I mean, you. yes,
0: I know. Every week I get on the air and I say the person is my favorite, but this person is a little bit. Extra favorite. (laughs) So please welcome the fish out of agua, storyteller, solo performer, entrepreneur, and so many other things that she's going to tell you about that I don't even know about. Oh, my God. Janice
1: Mathias. Thank you. Thank you so much, Michelle, for inviting me here. Oh, it's awesome. I'm looking forward to your questions.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This is going to be a fun interview. Yeah, this
1: should be very interesting. All right,
0: so Janice, one of the things I ask everybody right off the bat is how did we meet, because it seems like I know you for friggin' ever. Ever? I don't know. I'm I'm sitting but here racking my brain. As storytelling, because I know I don't know you from, like... I know it's
1: been more than four years. That's has to be No, two-
0: definitely it's in the 2000s,
1: but... I like, don't know, Michelle. You just appeared. I know. It's, a, we, it's when I first met you, it was like I always knew you. Was it, okay, th- th- was it the moth in the arts? Was it the
0: liar show? was it um Sherry Weaver's Speakeasy? I don't know. Was it, just... was it Kevin Allison's
1: <laughs> Risk Show? I don't
0: know. I mean all of a sudden you just appeared and I started booking you on my, no name at right. Word Up uptown. Yeah,
1: and that's my I've been doing that for quite a while. Now. Yeah, and
0: we've been on on so many shows together oh, over a mystery. over
1: the past semester. Um
0: I'm going to say over the past decade. Oh my
1: God!
0: So where do we meet?
1: So, okay, so if anybody
0: out there knows, knows how Jun- Janice and Mich- <laughs> how Janice Mathias and Michelle Carlo met, please send no. the answer to fishoutofagua at radiofreebrooklyn dot org. Alright, so we, we, we're going to
1: drop. It. So well, let's talk about how we know each other now. Okay. Well, we, we've been doing. Um, I've been attending your. You invited me to your your shows. Yes. No name uh, at word uh, up. Yeah, the storytelling show it. uptown that I run with Eric Vetter. I yeah. love that. Oh, he show. loved him. I love yeah. him. Um, um that was um i loved that um venue it was this very intimate um uh, very uh, what you say of uh, of people familiar. It's not, it's like a little family gathering. It's a
0: neighborhood bookstore, yeah, and, we tr- and we try to run all the shows like a house party. Yeah, Actually, I,
1: like a rent party,
0: because we pass, we pass yeah. the bucket at the end. <laughs> that is so true. But, and, but we do. We pass the bucket because we want to acknowledge the volunteers, because Word Up is totally 100% volunteer you run. You know what I love? So all so the money goes to the bookstore Yeah, what I also, we guess you
1: do. Uh, what I also like is that you open it. Um, You open it up to the audience, and also I like your uh, musical entertainer.
0: Miles Alexander, Blue Spruce. Is kind of like getting blowing up a little bit. He's good not benefiting yeah, good for him. Good for him. So, but okay. I do know we
1: we also have also um, done some other shows. Yes, like uh, most
0: uh, recently we did um... the pie and pros. Yeah, pros of pros of
1: pie. Oh, it's pros pros of pie. The Halloween
0: plus. show up yes. up in Tarrytown. Oh, that was excellent. Oh, in a church. Oh, uh, yes, in, in, in the Sleepy Hollow cemetery, cemetery,
1: like the Headless Horseman oh and Ichabod God. Crane. Yeah, and what really was fun about that you had to walk through the cemetery. Yes. In order to get to the venue, I was scared. I was scared, but I, I was I was hoping I didn't see
0: anything. And but. I think the thread that that keeps connecting us together is that the paranormal thread.
2: Oh. Oh. Yeah,
0: yeah. Because like I would always, you always had the great paranormal stories. Because at, at No Name at Word Up, I have I do paranormal
1: twice a year because it's like it's the most popular theme. I, Who knows? You know what? You just said something because we do come from a traditional background where paranormal paranormal is part of our our heritage yes. and our culture. Yes, it maybe, is. Maybe maybe Santos. I don't know. Espíritu Santo, Lotre, Los Los Ángeles, who knows? Or Jesus,
0: Maria, (laughs) and Josefina. (laughs) Jesus, Mary, and Josephine. Josephine. But it's true. When you grew up Latin, Uh like we did, your hundreds of years of varied religious traditions can be part of your everyday life. So I think it is so embedded in us who we are. Well, yeah, it's hundreds of years because, okay, so full disclosure, Denise is Poricua, oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> but, you know, um, the, the colonization of, of Puerto Rico from the, going back to the 1500s, so you had the original Indigenous populations: the Taíno, the Caribe, and the Arawak, that uh, that got overrun by the Spaniards. They got overrun by the Portuguese. Wow, you know you're that uh, that they 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 uh, brought in indentured Irish servants, and then they brought in all the Africans, and then they, more Europeans came. And then you ha- and out of this beautiful um, olla, this beautiful stew you, of European, indigenous, and African. You
1: have how many religions? Like Lots. Uh, the lots of religion. Uh, the only thing I knew is that my parents uh, came from Puerto Rico. My father's Puerto Rican, and my mother, um, well, she was born in St. Thomas, but basically she grew up in Puerto Rico because, you know, the islands are very close. West Indies, yes. man. Caribbean. So, Caribbean. And, but Caribbean she, delight. Yeah. So, but um, they, they grew up, they really was into Santaria. And heavily, heavily into wow. Interpreter. Okay, so explain Santaria in uh, twenty-five words or less for people oh, well, that Santeria might not know. Oh, basically is a is uh a, a what you could do is an African religion which was transposed into Catholicism, where they substituted the idols of Jesus Christ and Mary with um, their um, indigenous saints like um, Shango. Um, Orisha, Orisha. And each of these basically it's like a wicked. Uh there's, there's nothing really um it's nothing really like detrimental like voodoo. Basically what it is is that they believe that you can kind of manipulate the spirits or or the nature of, of energy. Um and, and if by giving offers, offering or offer, what you call offerings, offerings. Thank you, and just um, just doing ceremonies, um, but there is, but as time went by. Um, it was used um, in a very negative way, where people were kind of using it to kind of inflict a psychological um, hardship or warfare. Or for people, personal gain. Your personal gain. And, and for and, vendettas. And vendettas. So
0: there, that's, that, that's kind well, of
1: like the dark side of yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. And my parents were more like the cleaners. So my parents were like, people, if they had somebody said that it gave them a bad spirit or a bad curse, my mother would cleanse them and clean them. So I basically grew up in that world. Um, also, my mother was very spiritual. Um, in terms, when I can't say spiritual, she just talked to the dead. You know, so I There's grew- a lot
0: of people that are like that. I had relatives that were like And I remember growing up hearing about the baño with Flora Blanca.
1: Yes, uh, yes, yes. The, the, yeah, the, we the bath to, with the white flowers. Yeah, it's, but it's also interesting how it shaped who we are. Uh, in terms of being, um, in terms of being a female, in terms of being oh, th- the 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 power figures were always women. Yes. Oh, M- yes. Dudes
0: were just like no. No. Yeah. You women no. with the ones no. who had to no, definitely oh. no, th- no. Very for for very that thing, point. dudes were there to impregnate you to make more
1: goddesses. Uh huh. And they were more basically to be thrown into the way of arms, you know, like Orisha yeah. No. The yeah. way the wa-
0: the women the women were well, very sur- and, um, and and I f- didn't really grow up with a Santeria family. That was the peripheral thing that I only knew sometimes
1: yeah you know what I was just thinking what you just said is that um, that shaped me in terms of me being an artist and uh, when I mean by interesting that, yeah because like we even though um, we grew up as being the head of the household we grew up in, con- in uh, more or less dictating the culture and the direction of our, of our cultural identity well, and the family. Well, in, in most
0: pagan societies, isn't it matriarchal? Yes.
1: Yes. yes. Yeah. Because the mother, everything is, is around mm-hmm. the mother, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah. It, um, it, it's,
0: it's only when you start getting into the monotheistic religions that everything becomes a patriarchy. Oh, my God. Yeah.
1: Well, we, like, first we become individual, who we are. Yes. And we kind of like... We kind of like mold our identity by our experience, our culture. And I think for us, I think uh, for me as a Latina, is that it gave me the courage to pursue my artistic dreams. That is, wow. I don't
0: think I've ever heard anybody couch that in such terms before. That's amazing. So let me ask you this. So um, so you're, you're Puerto Rican and where did you, did you grow up in New York City? I grew up in you know, New York City. In, in Spanish Harlem, El in in Barrio? Spanish
1: Harlem. My parents are the first generation of Hispanic. I'm a baby boomer. Um, so um, I grew up in Spanish Harlem during when New York City was Jim Crow. So wait, so you you're talking about the nineteen
0: fifties? Yes. 60, 1950s? Yes. Girl yeah, thank Black you. don't crack,
1: yeah. brown don't crown, yeah, beige don't age, and pretty big no I'm freaking. I'm gonna be celebrating my sixty-fifth birthday. Holy and shit, right? Oh yo. Yeah. Oh my god, you you, you do not believe how beautiful this woman is. Oh, Her thank face you. glows, it's oh, lineless. Thank you. Well, I think that's basically being Latina. You know Latina we don't go we Or don't go. right, or a good heart. Yeah, or Good okay. or a Good Heart
0: or I'm a, a Good Heart. heart. Okay. okay, so so you grew up in Spanish Harlem,
1: you remember the nineteen fifties. Did you grow up in a creative family? Did no, you No. I think what really was that really my I grew in a very dysfunctional family but you know what really held me held me together? It was our culture. It kinda like it kept it like glued, you know, even though my family was very dysfunctional, but the culture, the food, the language, um, the music, it kind of centered me. So my father was an excellent dancer, um, but he was uh, excellent dancer. My mother was an excellent cook, um, and she was also, too, she was, um, at her time, she was a businesswoman. We only had three, um, she was only a third grade um, education cuz that's which, what that's what it was for people that were born in the 1930s there you go or 20s or okay. 20s yeah um but i think it was it was listening to hard the to music imagine isn't it and the sataria with with the cultural dance cuz they did they did celebrate that i think that was my introduction to the arts huh so so you, what at what age do you think that you just that you three. thought
0: that you wanted to be a performer at the age three, of three? three?
1: Were you the kind of kid that ran around the house with the hairbrush? No, it wasn't that. I, I was the kind of brush I was the kind of person that I was at that time we had um Bob Hope. We had um at that time you had like um Bob Hope and Bing Cosby and they had these musicals and then you had um The musicals and we had the first tv set and the ed Sullivan show so i got basically to me that was alien because at that time um my reality that that we didn't even have the civil rights movement well i kind of remember the
0: tail end of the ed sullivan show the only latino people that i ever remember on that show was this guy, you guys, Senor, something that did a thing with his, with his, his hands. So right, yeah, right. And then there was Chato.
1: That chattel. was it. Oh, well, Chato came later. Okay. There was no Hispanic. No. There were no Everybody black. Was white. Everything no. was white. No.
0: I remember seeing Richard Pryor. No,
1: this was before Richard Pryor. Oh, okay. We're talking about 1950. Oh, okay. No, no, no. Okay, I'm, talking okay. Okay. Like, I'm talking about like when 1970. When I became, when I decided I, my, I was looking at like Lucille Ball. I was looking at, um the Bob Hope Bob uh, the honeymooners the honeymooners and all of that and i used to watch that and used to say i i didn't identify with them but i identified with the media with mm. the medium you know and i always said wouldn't it be wouldn't it be great and i was 3 years old and i used to imitate uh, they used to have i forgot that um and, those mm-mm. show musical shows and they had this young woman she was the only ethnic person yo uh, it was some um, road to uh, Morocco. She 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 looked ethnic, you know, and she was the one who did the dancing and the singing. And I can't think of her name, but I identify with her because she was the only person close to being ethnic. And I used to imitate her dancing and singing when I was three years old. Um, and I think at three years old, I always knew that I wanted to be a performer at three. My mother used to put us on a fire escape. My brothers and I when we were three, two, and one. And I used to entertain them by singing all the songs. On the fire
0: escape. On the fire oh escape. my god, that's 100- a
1: West Side Story. <laughs> on 110th Street. Oh, so, did,
0: did you go to a, a performance high school? No, no, Did you go to a performance
1: college? No. So, you did you have like just like a regular like high school trajectory? Well, I had a detour. Trajectory? I had like I had, um, I would say that really kept me going was my my culture music, my salsa, and I fell in love with Catherine Dunham. Um, Catherine Dunham is the mother of Black Dance, and I think I started. I went into, I went into the arts when I was really old. I already had two kids. Um I was so uh, in other words you led a civilian life until you were an adult I and never, then
0: and then um, when I say civilian I yeah. mean like, you know, a regular life. You know, you graduate high school, you get no. a job. No, you no. didn't graduate no. high school? Oh snap well, I, you got no. your G E D
1: um, let's put it this way. Was no shame, girl, because okay. you are very educated and you now are knowledgeable. But now, before, I went through the whole, where I went through drugs, I went through okay. welfare. Okay, okay. Did I you, went, did, were you a teenage mom? Yes, I was a teen male okay. first Okay, so then they
0: didn't have teen MTV Teen Mom in those days that throwing like, like no. bags of money at they, you to be yeah. on the show. No, no. you had to do that shit yourself. Yeah, yeah.
1: So you had, you had a life. Yeah, I had an interesting you, life. You had a life. Which a life. I use as part of today as part okay. of my artistic so, so
0: you had a life, you had children.
1: I went to I, I started college in the back in nineteen seventies. I would say nineteen seventy six, and I st- I entered college. Were um, you 19- were single mom. Yes. Well, yeah. You could say that. <laughs> but anyway, I, I started college. I started at Staten Island, and I went in as an accountant because I said an accountant. You know you can make money, right? But what I did is I kind of um, gravitated towards the performing arts, and I started taking dance classes. And next thing I knew that I was I had t- exhausted all the dance classes, and that then from there I found that I can go as a visiting student to Brooklyn College. So really, my forte first was dancing, and then I visited um, st- uh, Brooklyn College, and then I started taking acting. Um, and, um... Were, you, were your kids big by then? Oh, uh, my kids were, well, yeah. They were... I used to grab, drag them. I was a typical mom that would pack the food and take the blanket, and they would sit in the classroom in the corner while I take classes. Um, but you know what? I have... I have... Let me go back. Um, I didn't tell you that I was a black panther at 15. What? Uh, yeah. I oh, was, snap. I was a black... Well... Really, really what happened was that I have, my life has always been, I have always been the first of everything. So when um, I was the first to, my parents were the first to integrate Queens. Um, Which created white flight? You know when
0: I know what that is when blacks,
1: uh, when ethnic people come in, all the white people. I know what that is. In one year, it turned from white to minority, and then. But that's another thing. The drugs started coming in, and then the Black Panthers came back, came into. This is in Queens. What neighborhood in Queens? It was uh, Springfield Gardens. Oh, okay. I know a neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And uh, so what happened was that they had the free food program. Yes. So I kind of gravitated there. Um, so let's let's do a little backtrack
0: and explain that the the um, the Black Panthers did institute a free food program for school children in many neighborhoods, and also where, where they were performing
1: arts. Mm-hmm. So they introduced yes. Af- they introduced yes. Black history. Yes. So I got the introduction to African dance, African history. And so I this was, is when you were a teenager. When I was a teenager. Okay. So when my parents, uh, my parents, my mother moved to Queens, that is another story. So wait, did you join the party? Did you just hang with them? Well, I just hung. But okay. what happened was that I was the first of sixty kids to be picked to integrate Forest Hill High School. For uh, real? For under um, national. What Goals. year was this? That was nineteen sixty-five. So you were the integrated. First- A New York City high school, school. of the National Guards in 1965. I went to. I I just went to school one day, and they put me on a bus with National Guards. And for a whole year, the National Guards stood outside with machine guns, while we sixty students would be taken to school. I had no idea. You.
0: Hear about like high schools in the South, and you know that there was forced integration in Arkansas and Mississippi and Alabama. But for me to hear that there was integration with National Guard having to be outside in Forest Hills, Forest Queens? Hills Queens? That blows my mind, girl. Really? Well, I was like four
1: when that happened, well, so I, I in, had no idea. So I was in high school, so you're young. So the Black Panthers found out. <laughs> So they found out, right? So they started to indoctrinate me about uh, black history. Okay, so my mission was to go to the school, organize. Now the kids were great. The white kids were great. They thought we were fascinating because they never saw any black or his you know Hispanic kids. And so well, you I, you
0: could have been there with like Joey Ramone and not known it. The Ramones were you know the punk band the Ramones. No. They were never heard of Ramones? Oh, Google that when you go home. They were punk. They were a punk band. They were good. They they came out of Forest Hills. Oh, okay. And they and if oh, they, they and, and, and then you
1: know what? Maybe if, 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 I went to school with them. If they were alive, they would be your age now, but I they all dead. Yeah, I think I went to school with them because I think I'm not because what happened Well was, their name wasn't Ramon, but they were just like these punky kids. Anyway, whatever. Okay, so So what happened was that the black the uh black panthers found out that I was going to Forest Hill on the National Guards, they started indoctrinating me like, we need to go have black history. So what I did was I organized a walkout. And at that time they had like over 2,000 students at Forest Hill High School. I actually, I don't know how I did it, but I actually organized a walkout where I emptied out the whole school.
0: Was that for the moratorium, for the Vietnam moratorium? No, no, it
1: was to get black history oh, into okay. School. Okay. Uh, this is what black studies would be. So I organized it, and I remember running through the hallways yelling, it's time, it's time! And I actually led over 2,000 kids to walk out of the high school. And you
0: were like what, 16? 15. Oh my God.
1: And uh, what happened was that we were met by the National Guards with machine guns. They blocked us off. This is 1966 now. And they blocked us off to stop us. And I actually had a, a, a soldier put a gun in my face, you know. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. You can't see me with my, my eyes crossed and, like, my mouth <laughs> And opened. I like, was, oh like, we dispersed and everybody was running. Well, to make a long story short, I became on the CIA watch list at 15. Oh, jeez. Yeah. But anyway, um, that was my introduction to the performing arts. So, yeah, that's so...
0: Well, you learned that you had power, because how does a 15-year-old organize and mobilize and get everybody to do something? So there's some power in there that you were were
1: working with. I just enjoyed the free lunch.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so, so after that, life happened. You had babies... You got jobs. Now we're in Brooklyn College where you have your kids and you're taking classes. So what happens next?
1: Well, what happened was that I really, I just knew that I had a love for performing arts. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I knew that it was also that growing up with a dysfunctional family, growing up in a time of confusion and chaos and, and, and hatred, It kind of left a kind of like a dent in me, Mm. Um, like a madness, Uh, especially being at that time dealing with racism, dealing with being a woman, being Hispanic, being a young mother, um, and being all the things that people look down on. Yes, you know all of them, all the things that are dismissed. So, to me, the performing arts was my way of. Stabilizing my my sanity. So how what what were you doing then? What was your outlet? Okay, my so what I did I became I would take I got I took so many classes in performing arts that I actually went to be a teacher. So in so in 1991 when I graduated, I graduated with a degree in performing arts and a degree in education. As I got older, I noticed there was a there was a, a lack of understanding about our culture and I was my goal was to develop multicultural use the performing art to educate or introduce multiculturalism especially as a means to to get people to understand our history
0: well the 90s was the time for that because the 90s was the exactly. time where people first started knowing what the word multicultural, multicultural was. was. That that was that was first coming up into the lexicon. People were starting to have their eyes open, was like, Oh yeah
1: there's other people here. Exactly. But not, But what really was very interesting to Michelle is that the lack of understanding with our own people and the lack of understanding with our, with, yeah, with our own people. With, um, they, for instance, uh, at, at the school that I was doing my internship, you I would volunteer for all the after-school dance program and everything. So there was, uh, there was some conflict between the African-American students and the Hispanic students. So the principal came up to me, a female, and she said, "Um, can you do something to kind of create a multicultural awareness? So I took the challenge, and I I started to get these kids, and I started to um, create, I started to look for music that had the elements of both, which you know is Cuban music. So Cuban music is an excellent, where it has that African, well, Cuban music is African origin and with, uh, with, um, with um, Western. So I, st- I took a group of kids, I started to get uh, music, choreograph it around the latest dance, and then I presented it to the high school assembly. And what happened was that um, for the first time, the kids opened up with a dialogue. They said, "Oh my God, that sounds like my music!" And, wow. What and, high school and what year? Oh, it was in 1991, and it was so. Can I say the high school?
0: Yeah. Oh, it was. They're, it, they're, they're all forty now.
1: <laughs> okay. That is so true. It was 19. It was 1991, and it was Passaic High School. Oh, okay, in New Jersey. Yes, and um, with that, it opened up a dialogue with the students so that they could understand that they had more in common than they had. Not in common, okay, um, which worked very well because what happened that led into me forming my own company, performing arts company called TDIA Tropical Delight in Action, um, and in the last twenty years, my company has won awards, got grant money from Passaic uh, Community College, or other areas, and I started to do areas of that was not which was. Um, to deal with kids that were not being um, being um, addressed, for instance, teaching blind kids to hmm. dance, but to create a program where I integrated them within a regular class. Wow! Um, Assimilate. And, yes, and they were and they were able to. Um, I took a year of researching with the blind association, and they taught me how to how to. Deal with blind kids. And I incorporated, I got some high school students that wanted to be teachers. And we actually, for two years, I ran workshops where I integrated blind children. Into regular dance classes. So
0: was this the school system that your children were growing up into at the time? Because I I noticed that you said you were living in Passaic, New Jersey. So at some point, obviously, you moved to New Jersey. Yes. With your kids. Oh yes. Yeah. Well, I have, I have a long history. Well, that's okay. I just wanted to do a bit of a fill in. Yes. So while you were working as an educator, well, your your kids were in the school system at the
1: time. Um yes. Oh well, that's great. So you working and you're being around your kids. Yeah, basically that's how it started because I was one of the moms that would make sure that uh, I was there in PTA meetings, making sure that my I was the active parent, that if they had a an assembly, uh, I was the one who directed it and, and did the Christmas shows and things like that. That's how it started.
0: Wow. Yes. Yeah, and so then, you just started being mom and then it just like blossomed out to exactly. be everybody's mom. Yes. Oh, yes, exactly. that's all amazing. Uh, so amazing. So well, as you as you became older and your kids grew up, how did um, all this performance background that you had been cultivating over probably the past, jeez, f- almost 40 years, blossom into the person that I know today? Okay.
1: Well, you know, let me first say this, is that I first started out not believing in myself. I really had this love of acting and dancing. So what I did, I always would always look for opportunities. Like if the community, the community they had like a workshop or dance class, I would take it. I was taking all the classes in college when I was a I was a mom working and going to college. And then I was just using my 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 skills to teach kids, so I was the neighborhood mom that would organize the dance in the school. Um, I also was very successful in getting a group of Hispanic kids to be the first to to get scholarship at the summer the summer program at Rutgers University. Um, it's a summer program which is um, for kids that is to strictly audition, and kids from all over the, um, the United States come to audition for a six-week program where they stay there and they are being taught by the top um, artists in, in the country. And I was able to successfully get nine of the kids that I work with, including my daughter, to take the audition, be accepted. And they were the first uh, ethnic kids at Rutgers University Summer Arts Institute. So I was doing all of this for so this you are
0: basically you're basically like making more artists. Yeah. You're oh. just you're just like creating artists everywhere yes, you go. Yes, exactly.
1: <laughs> left, right, yes, yes. left, right, that was art, my art, goal. art, art, art. So when, but when did it yeah. start uh, blossoming for yourself? That, That's when, what I want to know. What happened was that one of my students sat down. She was about eight, nine years old. And she said to me, why aren't you doing it, Miss Rivera? And she said, this little nine-year-old was right. And I had to realize that I was scared to death, that I I was scared that I would fail. I, I didn't want to take the chance. I didn't think I had the talent. So what happened was that I put my organization on hold, and then I started to go to New York. Um, where I studied, uh, my somebody told me go to Magnet Theater, uh, so I went to Magnet Theater, and I took a uh, took a improv class, and then that that improv class, then all of a sudden I started knowing that they had like work study, so I signed up for work study, and for four years I did work study, and I went through the whole program and my um uh, at uh, Magnet Theater. Wow! And then what? Well, then, then what? Then when I started doing was that I said, "Oh, well, let me go start doing some movies." So then I went to um, Central Casting, and I just said, "Somebody said go there," which you know just sign up. And the first time I walked in there, I happened to work with one of the, um, the uh, what they call casting directors. He saw me, and next thing I knew, I was doing movies. So I was doing like ju- the Law and Order. Um, just Judy, you know, doing... Do so the work. next
0: thing, you're on TV. I'm
1: on TV. So you went from you went from doing the improv program
0: at The Magnet to going on castings, and then you're on Law and & Order. And then I'm on Law & Order. That's amazing.
1: And then, and then wait, then... then, then oh, um, I know there's more. Yeah, then, like, I just went out there. I just said, I'm going to just throw myself. I'm not going to expect anything. But at the same time, what I realized is that even though I had a bachelor's degree in performing arts, the... The business requires you to be multi-talented, so what I did for my whole thing was that whatever I lacked, I found an avenue, and even though I didn't have the money, I found the way where I did work study, or I did um, um internship. Um, wanted money. Um, you heard of UCB. Mm-hmm. The okay. Bright
0: Citizens Brigade. Yes, yes, ma'am.
1: So, I got a full scholarship at UCB. Wow. For what? Three years. What were you taking? I took the whole program. Oh,
0: let me, um, improv, screenwriting, in- sketch. All okay, of all of
1: it. All of it. And, um... So, but what was the tipping point t- that got you into stories? I took Wade, Adam Wade's class. You did? Yes. At the Magnet? Yes. And I took it at, um... My first story was my experience um, as a sixth grade teacher, and um, I realized that I had a talent for storytelling. And when was this? How long ago? Oh my God, that must have been like about five, six years ago. Okay. Yeah. I took, uh, he was my first one. I did a show. And then from that show... We're going to figure out how we know
0: each other now. This is what this is leading to. So now we know it's not 10 years. It's like six, seven years.
1: Oh, from that show, I did it. And then somebody in the audience heard me from UCB, and they recorded it. And that was the first time I got on the podcast. Which podcast? um, It was an independent podcast. Okay. from, um, From... it was part of uh, one of the at that time one of the teachers. Okay, so, so it wasn't
0: it wasn't Kevin Allison risk. No, I, so I
1: swore that you were on risk. Yes, I was on risk. Yeah, I knew you were. And then um, then from there I continued, 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 you know, doing a whole lot of things. And then I took a class in UCB with uh, what's his name? Um, he's in L. He's in L.A. right now. David Crab. Yes. And, um, oh, please. We love David. And, and then I did a, his show. And then from there, my story, UCB asked if they can air it on their on their website on a funny thing. Oh, great. Okay. And then from there. And that's not that long ago. Yeah. So from there. And then I went to the moth. And, um, and then I did a story. I was totally drunk. Uh, Cause I had to wait for a while, so I figured I have a beer. Then it went to two beer. Then three beer. I
0: do How did you tell a story? I true? don't
1: know, but I got into. Did I you think, win? I won third place. So the do you
0: you've done them off more than once.
1: Yeah, yeah. But um, but really, what I like to do, I have done so many. I really, right now, I do all. I have done all of the storytelling shows, you name it, the Resca, uh, Pro Empire. Um, uh, Oh, my God. I did um, the video uh, with Herman. Harmon. Harmon Leon, tell. Yes. And I found that the storytelling is my forte. It's because I use it as therapy. Do you really?
0: Yeah. Because most people would think that, ooh, that's not good.
1: Let's put it this way. When I say therapy, it's like an alcoholic going to say, my name is so-and-so, and I'm an alcoholic. So... I think the reason why I am where I am is not that I have people to support me, to believe me, it's that it is the it's the, the pain that I have experienced mm. okay, okay. that that keeps me going, that says to me that it's all right to feel this pain. Because before, I denied the pain. Mm. So by me telling my stories, um, right now I have set stories. And when I tell a story, it's not me reliving it, but it's like my, it's a way of my, uh, uh, my victory.
0: Yes, okay, I get it. See, the, I just wanted to, to, to be clear because I know a lot of times when people try to use storytelling as therapy, it's not an interesting story. You know no. what I mean? It's something that should be only told to someone that you're paying seventy-five dollars an hour for. Exactly. So, but but what you just clarified is like how it, it's like exalted. Where you're just taking the what happened it. in your life and you're just putting putting it back out. But yeah. There when in another I tell way. a
1: story, when I tell a story, it's not so much for me to relive. But basically, to share an ex- a human experience, yes, and hopefully that somebody can identify with it and can use that. I also use storytelling as my t- I'm a teacher, so I use storytelling as a motivating uh, uh, instrument to 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 connect to direct, you know, not to pity. Uh, storytelling is very powerful. It is, and, and, and you've been
0: doing so many shows over the time that I've known you, and A Little Fishy, I don't say A Little birdie because the show's called Fish Out of Agua. <laughs> a Little Fishy says that you have a story for us tonight.
1: Oh, well, okay. Oh, we got a brand new story yes. right here, yes. by yes. Janice Mathias. Although the holiday was not a family affair, my mother was an excellent cook. She would prepare traditional dishes, banil, roasted pig, which my siblings and I would engage in a fight to the death, just to have the crisp skin, which held the smell and the tropical flavor of our culture. Arroz con gandules, platanos, and Spanish potato salads, and most of all, la pasteles made from, ground, from grated green bananas filled with a special meat uh, made by my father of roast pig and wrapped in banana leaves and boiled to perfection. Que Dios te bendiga if you got between a pastele and, it's, and the hand that was trying to get it. Definitely there would be bloodshed. The holiday held no religious significance to my family. Christ was just a white man, and church to my parents was led by money-hungry parishioners. But what made the holiday special was the sound of Cuban music filling the air with intoxicating rhythms, which my and my parents speaking Spanish. With the rhythmic and musical cadence, and for a moment in time, the world was a wonderful place. Wow,
0: that is such a holiday story. That's making me hungry, Janice. <laughs> like I was, I like I almost like started cracking up when you were talking about Senorita Bendiga that if you got between the pasteles and the hand, I was gonna give it to you. <laughs> You know whatever. Oh, I mean, right? Yeah, tell yeah, totally you oh. what you mean. You know, I make coquita for the holidays, and, and I, I do trades. Like, I trade for pasteles. I trade, I, I trade for things oh that God. I don't want to make, so it's great. Oh, my God, Janice, thank you so much for being on the show. If somebody wants to, um like, look you up to
1: see where you're going to be
0: performing,
1: if okay. they, they want to see where you're up to. Okay, fine. You can just go to my website. Which is Janice, J E N I C E M A T I A S dot bis. And you can find out what I'm up to, what I've been to, and. And I want to take this time, Michelle, to thank you for giving me this moment to oh, reminisce. Oh, sure.
0: Uh, we still haven't figured out how the frig we met, but that's no, okay. that's true. If, if anybody out there knows how Janice Mathias and Michelle Carlo met, please write to me at fishoutofagua at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org. That means dot org. So, Janice, yes, if you could say one thing to the child that has a burning desire to be a creative individual, but is not in a creative environment, but knows that they need to express themselves in some way or or they don't know that, or they're just going to explode and they don't see a way out and everybody and everything that they, around them
1: is against them. What would you tell this child? I would tell them what I used to do. I used to go in my room and I used to close the door, turn the shades down, and I would put my music Or I would put on the coat, the blanket, and I would just take that moment and perform for myself. Art saves
0: lives. And I see that now that you've created so many more artists in this world, I just wanna give you the giantest hug. Thank you for being on Fish Out of Body Virginia. Thank you. Hug on the air! (laughs) Hug air. (laughs) Hug on the air! Woo hoo!
3: diamond, shine bright like a diamond. Find light in the beautiful sea, I chose to be happy. You and I, you and I, we're like diamonds in the sky. You're a shooting star, I see, a vision of ecstasy. When you hold me, I'm alive.
0: We're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. That was Rihanna with Diamonds from her Unapologetic album in 2013, another one of Janice's picks. And hey, kids, that's our show. This has been Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. Love us, follow us, donate. Um, the last song we're going to play is uh, also picked by Janice. It's from George Benson. It's called Everything Must Change, a Good Thing for These Days, because everything do needs to change. It's from his In Flight album in 1977. Um, stay tuned for Brooklyn Bandstand next, and we'll see you with an all-new show next week, kids. Woohoo!
4: Change Nothing stays the same. Everyone must change, nothing stays the same. Young become the whole. To unfold Cause that's the way Of time Nothing And no one goes Unchanged There are Not many things In life You can be Sure of Comes from the clouds and sunlight up the sky, and humming birds do fly. Winter turns to spring, wounded heart will heal. never much too soon everything must change the young become the old Mm. mysteries do and cause that's the way of time And no one goes unchanged and There are not many things In life you can be sure of Woo-hoo-hoo. Except rain falls from the clouds And sunlight's up the sky And come ah uh-huh.